See, at least for the moment, they look more in sync, which is good. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Grace Garage Pod with co-host Jason Pridmore, presented by Bike911.com. Let's welcome into this beautiful podcast, Jason Pridmore. What's up, guy? What is up, G-Dub? Yeah, I see what you're saying now about the in sync thing. We got some new stuff going on here with the podcast, apparently, on Greg's side. Yeah. So things do look a little bit different, but they um, do, they do, they do. I'm glad we started over. But Jay, but what's good. been going on? You and I actually have not I mean we barely even texted this week. I mean I know it's pretty wild, huh? Yeah. I've been it's like, like we broke up. Boy? I we know. No, we no, I I mean, as far as I I mean, are are you? No, no, no. I'm still here. Are you hanging out with other people? I mean, what's no, going on? No, no, I'm good. I'm still committed to my big donut eating man. <laughs> how, uh, was the, how was the week? It was good. Uh it's been really busy. Um it's been just slammed. So, I mean, the good news is, you know, all November, all December of my uh, JP 43 training side of things has been full for a while. So I'm starting to get into the, the new calendar. And I went up to Thunder Hill last week, obviously with Simon and David, we had a great day up there with, uh, with Oliver. And, uh, it, it was just a, it was an Apple track day. You know, Ollie works for Apple. As you know, I know you've got some stuff from Ollie and, uh, yeah, he's helped me with the new computer that I'm recording this yeah, on right now. Thanks, great. Ollie. So, so Ollie invited us up. There was two, two car sessions and then a motorcycle session. Oh, okay. All, and they were all just Apple employees, and we had a blast. It was um, a bit cooler than uh, than Southern Cal, obviously, and it was windy, <laughs> um, but it was still you know Thunderhill's Thunderhill. It was a great track, Greg. I wouldn't say it looks that much different than when you went up there last. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. they built that new track a while back now. Uh, they have a little bit more infrastructure uh, in and amongst the pits a little bit, but really it's, it looks exact same pretty much since you were up there. Um, track surface seemed fine. It was, it was fun. I mean, I really enjoyed riding Thunder Hill again. It's always been kind of one of my favorite tracks. Everybody goes on about Laguna and Sonoma and things like that, but I really enjoyed Thunder Hill. I enjoyed Thunder Hill. I just think that that kind of back section when you're heading towards the pits is just a little bit weird for me. Well, they, they, you know, that you're talking about like when you come out of, uh, I guess it would be, turn 11 the tight mm. left and then it has the little quick right left yeah. now you kind of cut across the curvings so much it really straightens that little section out oh that'd be fun so, yeah it straightens it out a little bit so you know that we, there was always concern about that wall on the right there and that fast yes. left and and it's a little bit straighter now um how they've got it so uh and what bike what bike were you riding on i was just riding my zx10 all right so and which is what that's a, just a street bike yeah just my pure street bike and you know, you it's use slicks or cute Dunlop? No, Q4s I have my or? Q4s on there. I have my Q4s. Yeah, and it was it was great. I mean, we had a lot of fun. We flew up there Wednesday night. We we rode and we flew back Thursday night. And you know, Randy from Six One Nine Knee Draggers is just a rock star. He drove all of our stuff up there. Um, he was he, he drove it up there Wednesday. Slept in his truck when he was up there. He wouldn't get a hotel. He's like, "Yeah, I get too nervous. You know, I worry about the stuff." And I'm like, "Well, uh, I'll come pick really you up cool, at the track, though. and we'll bring you to a hotel." You know? Yeah. But he's such a grinder, and and then he he literally slept during most of the day while we were out riding and enjoying ourselves, and and then he he drove home that night. But um, but no, it was fun. I I enjoyed going up to Thunder Hill again. How's your week yeah. been? What have you been up to? Well, I I returned the you know oh, the yeah, Multistrada V4s uh, to. Yep to Richie Alexander and Hudson Valley motorcycles. And I did it. I decided to make it a multi-day trip. So uh, not too far from me, about three hours away is the 
Mid Atlantic BDR, which is the Backroads Discovery Routes, I think is what Mm -hmm. they call them. And they have them. They have them. There's actually one J that goes from the Mexican border all the way up to Canada. So you go through like Arizona and up Ah, to Nevada and stuff. But they have one in Washington State. They have, I don't think they have an official one in Oregon, but there's one in Oregon. Anyway, they have one in the Northeast. They have one in the Mid Atlantic. I think they're the only two on the East Coast. And so I said, oh, I'm going to go for it. And I had those those Dunlop mission trail max tires on them. And I had only done maybe 300 miles of off-road in the 14,000 miles I put on it. Yep. So I was like, let me go do this. And that trail is, uh, the mid Atlantic trail is more beginner intermediate. And so I figured the Ducati could handle it and yep. it was a lot of fun. You know, no, I, had, I had way more miles planned on the dirt, but when you look at it, it's like an 1100 mile, um, uh, trail, this, this BDR trail. Yep. And it's a combination of dirt and road. And I would say it's more dirt than it is road, but it was intermediate and everything. And it was like, it's a 33 hour trip to do all 1100 oh, wow. miles. Now I hadn't planned on doing that, but yeah. I was like 33 mile an hour average. Come on. Oh dude. There were plenty of sections where I was going 15, oh, 20 mile there? an hour. Yeah. Yeah. On that Ducati, even with all the sophisticated electronics, whatever. But anyway, eventually I ended up uh, like going Friday night. I ended up staying in Allentown, Pennsylvania, had dinner with our boy Jeff from Arai um, because they're they're right there in that area. And then I went up to Richie's dealership, Hudson Valley Motorcycles, early in the morning and got to hang out there all day and watch him freaking roll bikes out the door, dude. That's I mean. No, they're doing great. Richie. 75 degree kind of, you know, nice day up there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think pretty much like 80% of the people that walked in the door walked out with a motorcycle. That's the great. problem is they don't have a lot of motorcycles, no, you know? Inventory is low. I those guys, they just bought a garage out of Chuck Wall, like I think I told you last mm-hmm. week. And you know, we've been talking a lot about, you know, having them out here. It's gonna be it's gonna be great. And it's good to see Richie. Yeah, it's good to see Richie out here. He did I, I don't know if I mentioned it last week. I, I'm getting old. So but he was like in the best mood you've ever seen him in last week. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He was smiling all day, and everybody was making fun of him because he was so happy. So that's awesome. I'm not saying he's miserable, but you know, he was happy. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's good. He's yeah. he's. I think the future's bright for for Corey as well, and you know, Richie is. I think expanding his business opportunities part of the reason why he bought the garage, and I know he's gonna either announce it or he's making an announcement about that about what he's gonna do with it. So it's really cool. I mean, I'm that's happy. Great. I'm happy for him. Chuck Walla just. I mean. It's great. It's destination. Who, who, who right would now, ever yeah. thought? Yeah. Who would yeah. ever think that when they launched that racetrack all those years ago and we were there when it, when it initially launched and Mickey Grana and the whole deal that it would start to evolve? I mean, I have more garages. Uh, they're they're expanding the track or making a second track out there. Yeah. There's road. There's land for off road riding. I mean, that place is that's the pretty good. Is huge for that joint. Anyway, it's pretty good. It, it's it's because you can just you could be out there year round, you know. And it's like yeah. don't want to you know not trying to sound like a commercial for the place, but it's true. I mean, if a lot of these guys in New York they don't get to ride from essentially almost now. I mean, track days are pretty slim right now. I think back east and um, especially up in that northeast region where you're from, you know, it's it starts to get cold and weather gets shitty and and they don't get on a bike, you know, till March. And some of those guys go down to Jennings and stuff, but I hear we can ride year round. I mean, it's just, it's, yeah, it's different. Great. We're like, say, yeah. So I think Jeff White is in his last track day coming this weekend coming up. That's in yep. the Northeast that he's planning on. But I know Thanksgiving, he was like, I'm blowing all of you off and I'm going to Barber for Thanksgiving to ride. I'm like, wow. Cool. All right. Barber. That's a, long, that's, that's a long way from Norwalk, Connecticut down to Barber. Enjoy. 
Yeah, enjoy, enjoy. the drive. He yeah. and his buddy uh, Squid, who I call him, is uh, Gorilla Racing. He's yeah. also another yoked out, you know, tribal tattooed freaking gym rat. <laughs> and apparently, right? <laughs> yeah. And I said to Jeff White, they they came down to VIR a couple months ago, and I said, "What do you guys talk about? All you, you know, you had a, you were driving all that distance. What do you guys talk about? Oh, uh, we yep. were talking about who's better looking. Yeah. And I was like, great. Yeah, that makes sense. Short conversation. <laughs> that's awesome. That makes a lot of sense. Anyway, that's anyway. all personal stuff. We should get into what our podcast is about. I mentioned that it's supported by bike911.com. Look, if you've been in a motorcycle accident or need some legal advice, especially if you're in California, in the United States, though, go to bike911.com, get the contact information, reach out to our guy, uh, Alex Asante. He's going to take care of you. He knows the business. He's a motorcycle rider himself. So go check out bike911.com. In this week's podcast, we're going to talk about Orion News. World Superbike happened over the weekend from Argentina. And the Premier Class Championship is still alive as we head to the finale. We'll talk about that, but that's like a month away. We're also going to preview MotoGP Mizano, Jason Pridmore. It's Valentino Rossi's last race at home on a GP bike. That's going to be gnarly. But hey, if you want to support the channel, go check out patreon.com slash Greg's Garage TV. And you can support the channel. We appreciate that. And I'm planning on starting to pile some content up in there. I do have a question, though, for everybody who's listening to the podcast. We do now have the ability to get transcripts of the podcast. So if anybody out there, for some reason, wants a transcript of the podcast, uh, I was planning on putting that on the Patreon. So just you know, send Jason or myself a note on uh, social media, Twitter, Instagram, or whatever, and let us know if that's something you're interested in. Uh, that's that deal. And then if you want to look at my, uh, Greg's garage TV channel on YouTube, you can do that. Greg's garage TV. I am planning. I, so Jay, I, as you know, I have this new, um, Royal Enfield Himalayan. So I literally went from the most sophisticated adventure touring motorcycle in the world to one of the most unsophisticated new motorcycles in the world, but they both have a lot of appeal. And I'm going to be doing a comparison video on those two. Plus, I have a ton of upgraded parts that are going to be coming along. So I'm going to do a little bit of a series on that. Before I do that, though, I'm going to have to ride the bike in stock trim. And I think I'm going to do that tomorrow. There's a place an hour and a half from me called the URA National Forest. And there's a lot of riding trails mm. in there. So I'm going to I'm going to give that a go. But before I gave that Ducati back, I did some video where I had like this <laughs> Himalayan and this Multistrada like head to head and yeah. some other stuff on it. So it's pretty funny. All right, anyway, so the listeners want to know, meaning me. Are you riding to the races next year? I don't know yet. You should do it on a bicycle. That's my. That's what I think you should do. <laughs> I think you should plan your your trips. Yeah, I think that's what you should do. Reach out to John Hines from uh, John Hines from um, KTM, the president of KTM USA. He's been doing the whole like ride across the US oh. thing, but they're doing it in stages. Like, are they? They yeah. They they started. Um, I actually did a very similar ride to what I did on the motorcycle from Seattle down, you know, the California coast and stuff. There were some roads that they were pedaling on where I was like, I was just on that road with the motorcycle. Oh, the guys that do that solo, that race across America, ride across America. I mean, I remember when Wardy, Bailey, and I think Mickey Diamond all did it. Remember they did it about yeah, eight years I ago? Yeah, the Bostroms did that one too. I mean, I they, they did it with have. Mickey. I know that, but yeah. yeah, it's pretty gnarly. I mean, I, I could tell you what, I'm not doing it on a Himalayan. No. no, no, no chance. I'm doing a 24 horsepower. <laughs> but, but I will say this: to Jeff, yeah. the thing about Tell the Himalayan me. is, is people don't really know it in the United States. They don't know Royal Enfield a lot. Um, but it's wildly popular. So there is a company that's in 
the UK that makes a camshaft for it. And Jay, this bike is so simple that it takes an hour to, to, I, I can, I can do a camshaft. You could, you could do a cam. I am willing to bet it would take let's you probably not, three hours. Let's not get out of line here. But literally it's that easy. It's a single cylinder. It's, you know, single valve. Like it's super easy, right? So, but that thing has been out of stock. So I get an email yesterday from that company and they say camshafts are in stock. And I like got it at like 8.02 in the morning. It's, I, I look at it and it's 8.07 and I run to my computer and I try to order it, but they don't ship to the U.S. because they actually have a distributor in the U.S. that doesn't have the part listed on their website. So I start sending emails to the U.K. I start sending emails to the U.S. I have zero response. 40 minutes later, I refresh the shopping cart and all the cams are sold out. Like it's No way. Dude, because it adds 20% power to a motorcycle that's 24 horsepower. Right. You know, so adding five horsepower, that's a big deal. You know, you can go from a 15-tooth front sprocket to a 16-tooth front sprocket, which is going to give you more RPM range. You know, it lengthens out the gearbox, basically, which gives you better gas mileage and a higher top speed. And it's like, you got to be kidding me. Like, this stuff's so in demand. I kind of knew it. I felt it because the thing had been out of stock. And, you know, obviously supply chain problems. But I won't do it on that bike. But who knows? Who knows? I mean, I know some people have said, oh, you should do it on the Harley Davidson. But I got to be honest, Jay, if it doesn't have adaptive cruise control, I'm not sure I'm interested. I'm yeah. addicted to that crap. Yeah. That stuff's really good. But you like the Ducati a lot. I know you like yeah, it. Was a lot of, yeah, it was a lot of fun. And I, and I beat it up. You know, I beat it up enough where I brought it back and Richie's like, don't worry about it. We'll get it cleaned up. And, you know, they're going to sell it. They're, you know, they're going to resell the bike. So Did anyway. sign the tank, Greg? I'm sure that's going to be a collector's item, you know? No one asked me to sign anything, do anything. No, that wasn't even a consideration. <laughs> why why would i want to reduce the value can True. you imagine True. sign the tank with uh with like a like a silver sharpie and then someone comes up and says anybody got any contact cleaner i, I need a new i need a new ta- i need a new tank new tank yeah no. anyway all right well listen it's time for the news presented by Arai. see that's slow that music's slow so this thing isn't isn't quite up to snuff but anyway hey do you hear that? All of a sudden, the music sped up on its own. Isn't that weird? Something's going on here. All right, so, oh. You're a right, beauty. Hey, have you heard of the Hyper Ridge Construction? We're going to hear about it right now. Hyper Ridge Construction circles around the shell and acts like a shock absorber, like an automobile bumper, which improves the shell strength around the bottom of the opening of the helmet and mitigates the spread of cracks in the shell in the event of an impact. Another feature that showcases Arise Obsession for protection and another reason to go to visit AriAmericas.com for more information. Boy, that's weird. I got to reach out to Zencaster and find out what's going on. That music sped up. It slowed down. All right. All right. Well, let's get into hopefully it. Hopefully this whole thing works. We'll see. Yeah, I think it looks like it's working. Anyway, Jason Pridmore, I saw wow. that Spa Franco Shaw has been added to the 2022 FIM World Endurance calendar. Yeah. And I am pretty sure that the last visit to Spa was in 2003 when I raced there uh, on the, the BMW uh, Boxer Cup race. But I know that this racetrack is on your list of tracks to ride. So my <laughs> question is. for you is, are you going to start making some phone calls? I mean, dude, you're fit. You're fast. I mean, what is preventing the 61-year-old Jason Pridmore mm. from going out and riding FIM World Endurance at minimum just at Spa? Yeah. I know you want to ride Spa. I do. You know, it's funny. I Maybe I'm finally going through this midlife crisis again, but I can't get motorcycles out of my blood. Like, it's fun to go ride good bikes and... Mm-hmm. kind of fast bikes and 
all that. And, um, you know, this next week I get to go, I'm going <clears> to, <throat> I'm going to ride with Wes on Friday, which that'll be a fun day for me. And I got something kind of cool planned the following week that you know about that I'm pretty excited about doing. And, and when I saw this yesterday, I think it kind of dropped. I immediately took a screenshot of it and I text Corey and Michael because <laughs> they've been wanting to do a world endurance race. Mm. I'm like, Jay, come on, we could all do an endurance race together. I thought this might be the one because I do have a few connections, but Greg, it's the same weekend as Road America. No, no. Same weekend. Yeah. So I was oh, like, oh, I didn't even like, check that. It's not like I, you know, I would probably be talked off the perch before I actually did it anyways. Um, probably hmm. my own mind would have talked myself down from going and doing it. But I saw Terry Reimer and a couple other guys posting about, oh my God, spa, the best track ever type of thing. And I was like, oh, I'd love to go do it. And, and just at least go, it's not like a place you could just go do a track day. Right. So it's like, it'd be really fun to do it. And, but that said, it's the same weekend as, uh, as Road America. June 4th, which is, which is June a shame. 4th and 5th. Yeah, which is a shame because when we originally got, uh, you know, our secret uh, calendar. Yeah, yeah. Road America was actually on a different date. Mm-hmm. And it was. so for you, no spa. For me, it conflicts with a, an archery, you know, event that I would commentate. You know what I mean? Working and stuff like that. I mean, obviously, you know, motorcycles are my passion and, and all that kind of stuff. But I'm like. Yeah, moving that road Atlanta, road America date, I was like, ah, oh, shucks. That's too bad because, you know, the way they did it in 2003 was you had, it was like a four-day event. And obviously, it you know, the, the actual endurance race itself was the premier deal. But we actually were, there was BMW Boxer Cup. There was a ZX6R Cup. There was an R6 Cup. There were all these different support classes that were there. And uh, I would just love to go when it's not raining. Cause I was there for four yeah. days in the rain and it poured on you. Didn't it? I it remember did, you yeah, telling but, me that, but what did you, did you check to see how long it's going to be? Like what the, how many hours 20, that I guess it's a 24 hour. Oh dude. Yeah. See, that, that is the sickest thing ever because those fans that go to spa are, cause that, that, that property is huge. The track's really long. It's kind of like a road America type feel to it, it you know if, if you can do that in belgium it's also real close to luxembourg which is a beautiful really neat and interesting country i'd love it's, to go see it it's one of the coolest countries i've been to that has a blend of old architecture but in, it, like massively modern infrastructure yeah um as i remember it i don't think there's any like above ground um like power lines and stuff in Luxembourg. So like you're, you're, you're in Belgium and you see all these power lines, you get in there and all of a sudden everything's like dug underground. But anyway, it was, it was a long time ago. And of course I went to McDonald's in Luxembourg to check out the quality of of their food. And at that time, what year was this? Oh, three, 2003. Oh, three. Okay. Yeah. And at that time, chicken nuggets were like a mix of dark meat and white meat in the U S like it was kind of garbage. And that was the first time I'd had an all white meat, like chicken tender. Because oh my God. Luxembourg demanded like higher quality food than we did in the US. Mm. And I was like, dude, that is crazy. It was so good. Boy, but anyway, total that's sidebar. a memory, huh? That's a real good memory. You remember the well, white the, chicken the other, nugget? The other memory, yep. really, Jason, is, and you know, and you've been to Belgium before, but on those. I haven't. They, oh, you haven't been to Belgium, period. Okay. Been to Germany, but yeah. So at the track and in the pits, especially, they have um, waffle vendors like a cart. You know, and so that was the first time I'd had a waffle with like sugar on it. I had a Nutella waffle. Like they make them, you know, basically like like a crepe or something. Like 
and and they're so good. So you just saw that your diet was that good back then too. Well, you know, yeah, yeah. Hmm? I know a lot of things have changed. Anyway, I'm yeah. too bad. Anyway, look, uh, more, no, more news. Good, this sounds yeah, good. No, all you have to good. do is roll through Amsterdam and get some French fries, get some fries with mayonnaise all over them, and you're Ugh. and you're on it. <clears throat> you know what I mean? Jason, it is being reported that former Suzuki, former Suzuki GP boss Davide Brivio may make his return to MotoGP soon. Brivio, who you may remember was the glue behind Joanne Mir's World Championship last year and then left and went to the Alpine F1 team, which is Renault-backed. And uh, it's being reported that in an interview with CEO Luca DeMaio of Renault, he said that Brivio feels like a fish out of water, water, sparking all kinds of chit-chat about where he's going to go. Some talk about Suzuki, maybe VR46. His kid actually works for VR46. So I'm curious to get your your viewpoint on Brivio, you know, in terms of, I mean, the guy's had mass success in MotoGP. He really has. And it's interesting that he left when he did, but I guess when the F1 phone rings, you might pay attention to it. But, you know, when you're in something for as long as he is, um, it, it's it's got to be a hard jump. And you got to think that he's looked, I'm not going to say he's looked down on, but there's probably a lot of people within the F1 walls there that are like, who's this guy? Like, where's he coming? I realize he's from MotoGP. Why doesn't he just stay over in his area type of thing? Um but that said, Greg, I, I'm, I'm not familiar with the F1 world at all. Um, they may have welcomed him with complete open arms, and maybe he just has that passion for motorcycles. And, I mean, would it be shocking if he went back to Suzuki? I don't think it would be. Um, mm-hmm. I, don't I think, think they need be. it. You know, I think I, they need I, I, it. Yeah. And they've been saying they want to hire somebody again full-time. And, um, you know, and the VR46 thing, uh, yeah, I mean, it's another good possibility. But I think that he probably left Suzuki on great terms. Mm-hmm. I think that they'd welcome him back. It sounded like he had the respect of the team and the writers. So I don't think, I don't see why that would be a big, a big deal to move him back over there. So yeah, it'd be great to have him back. Mm. Yeah, it would be good because especially if he went to a different team, because then again, he could prove his worth, but I think Suzuki really needs him back. So hopefully yeah. he'll, he'll land back at Suzuki because, yeah. you know, we've talked about on this podcast before when, he, when he is the manager, I mean, the, the last year, the feel in that Suzuki pits were incredible. I mean, yeah. you know, everybody just kind of was harmonious and got yeah. along. And it's such a big deal. You know, it's like I was watching the the ALCS game, the baseball game last night. Yeah. It was uh, Red Sox uh, versus the Astros. And, you know, first inning, a home run, you know, a one a two-run home run is hit. And I watched the guy who, who hit the home run go into the pits and – and they 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 put him in the cart, um, in the you know the clothing cart, and they push yeah. him back. But it's it's not really and, called the pits, Greg. It's a dugout. But yeah, the dugout. I, yeah, I, oh my god, did yeah. I say the pits? Yeah, yeah they the go pits. to the dugout. And, but the point is, is like you can see when teams have something flowing. You can see the camaraderie, huh? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. and MotoGP is a team sport, and yeah. as as all of racing is, it's really difficult to go at it alone. I mean, most people need at least some help. I don't care if it's yeah. your dad or if it's you know a team the size of. Honda, you know, it, it is a team sport. So no, it'll be good to that, see. You gotta have that that camaraderie between a team. It's really hard to be successful when you have a lot of infighting. So um But the other thing know. too, Jay, is if you get a guy like Brivio back in the paddock in MotoGP and, <clears throat> and in motorcycle racing, yeah. what he's doing too is he's teaching people how to manage in that way. He's teaching people yeah. how to be like that. So also influence it, in the paddock is yeah. So yeah. it's good to develop that kind of thing for the future. And I think that the sport really benefits from it personally. Yeah. 
So absolutely. Yep. Um, all right, Jay, how about a little competition? So in MotoGP's Moto E class, it has been one manufacturer since the start in 2019. That's the Energesia uh, company. And they made an announcement a couple of days ago, MotoGP and, and Energesia did that they are opening that class up as of next season to other manufacturers. So there's going to be competition in Moto E. Um, do you think it's too early? you know, to do that in, in electric bike development? Or what do you think about that? Man, it's a hard one for me. Are they, they just finished year two, did they not? Or year three? Uh, 19, year three. Year three, 19, but remember, yeah. they had that big crisis two years ago where the whole thing burned down. Burned, and burned. Yeah, they had a pit burned down. Um, mm-hmm. Was that in Spain somewhere, I think? And a bunch of the bikes got destroyed. And yeah, I mean, it's still too early to be seen. I, the Moto E World Championship is actually a really fun one to watch. It's gone down to the wire every year, I think. And um, this year had a lot of controversy around it. Dominic Gagurta, in my opinion, probably should be a two-time champion this year. But, I agree. Um, <clears throat> for what happened to him there at um, at Mizano, where him and Jordi Torres got together. And I know there's all kinds of people that think different things about that. But, um, you know, it's one of those things where uh, Gagurta rode really well. And I think jumping from a, a super sport 600 Spectar 6 to a – let's say a lot heavier moto e-bike uh that has a lot of performance uh, the lap times they were doing were pretty impressive uh when you think what they what they did on those bikes so yeah i mean we've seen it in moto 2 haven't we where different manufacturers have come along with different um chassis so yeah I, it doesn't really surprise me it will be interesting to see who takes the leap because i know it's going to take a lot of money mm-hmm. and um to make that leap and you've got to go out and get you know a couple of the top teams uh, on that chassis to start testing it and get it ready to go. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be an endeavor, but I, yeah, I could see it happening for sure. The other thing I think that's going to be interesting is to see how MotoGP deals with the different manufacturers in terms of, and, and we've dealt with this on, you know, on normal, you know, dead dinosaur burning motorcycles is the range of those bikes. So is Energesia the, the benchmark and saying, okay, we, we have a bike that can go, whatever it is, 90% at, you know, yeah. seven, eight laps or whatever. But if a different company or two companies come in, maybe they have a bike that can go longer, right? you know, but, but the easiest thing about electric bikes is you can totally control the speed of those bikes via the ECU because, you know, electric motor is zero to a hundred percent. And yep. that's, that's been the challenge uh, of e-bikes. One of the challenges of an e-bike beyond the weight and how you develop the chassis. And of course the, how long it's going to last. But one of the challenges early days is controlling all that torque that you get yeah electronically to make it smooth and make it feel like something familiar but i i i think there's nothing better than competition to <laughs> i agree to spur on innovation anyway well we're so gonna see really how much thing. people are interested in this championship because mm-hmm. i mean i know that everybody's saying kind of the wave of the future is electric bikes and this and that i'm not quite there with it yet obviously it, i i know that it's going that direction but It'll be interesting to see now, three years in, how many people are really, really, truly into making this thing get bigger and evolve it more. And, um, you know, we're going to find out now. So mm-hmm. over the weekend, Greg, the, as you would like to say, the penultimate round of World Superbike was boom was done in Argentina. And I was glued to the TV, uh, actually my computer, um, <laughs> as, yeah, as everybody, as, as I'm sure a lot of people were. And with the exception of Michael Rubin Rinaldi, he is the only guy, Rinaldi, to get up on the podium with uh, Toprak and Ray and Redding. He did that in race number one with Rizgatiaglu winning, Ray second, Rinaldi third. If you remember, Redding had a really strange crash 
right off the bat in turn one. I mean, super strange. Um, Where he just lost the rear. He just right? lost the rear. He spun out. And he spun out. It was he so ben weird. Smithed it. Benjamin Smith. Mm, yeah, good point. Yeah, I saw that video again the other day from Benjamin Smith. Yeah, they Smith posted in Atlanta. it. <laughs> yeah. And I've been like, I got to text him and just ask him, how does this actually happen? So, but yeah, he lost the rear really strange. You know, even Johnny said, he was like, oh, he must have got out in the dirty part. But when you look at it from Johnny's bike, it looked like they were lying astern. Like it wasn't that big a deal. But to lose the rear like that is always puzzling to me. But Rosgatiaglu goes on and and dominates that race. Um, and then they had the Super Bowl race Sunday morning. And uh, Redding actually took the fight to Rosgatiaglu. He made a couple of mistakes. But Redding was really, uh, he was good this weekend as well. Uh, Ray ends up finishing third in that. And then in the race, Sunday's second race, Greg, I got to say, it's for, for me, it was probably race of the year. Um, especially those first, what, 12 laps of that race. It must have been fun for Steve English to be calling that one because we had tons of lead changes. There were four guys essentially up at the front with, I think it was uh, Vandemark and them, just not that far off in fifth and further back. But but you had Bassani up there with those leading three guys. And who's been super impressive has Bassani this year, but Redding comes on top, comes out on top of a little duel there, and Ray ends up second with Top Rack third. Now, I think the biggest things that you take away from the weekend for me is just how good Top Rack was. I mean, the guy led every session. Greg, uh, he got pipped for qualifying uh, honors there. I think uh, Redding ended up getting that that pole position. But I think it could have been almost a, a weekend where Redding could have easily have won two or three races as well. No, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I mean, the way that these guys are racing, how fast they race, how loose the motorcycles are, mostly because of just the characteristics of the Pirelli, and how much trust they have in each other being in such close quarters. It's yeah, so impressive. I mean, honestly, race one um you know it didn't it, it didn't boring. do a whole race one it was, was boring it was, race one was boring yeah. the thing that made it so exciting was the livery race one livery mm-hmm. and then Ducat or uh, kawasaki breaking out the like early 90s livery with the green and the, oh my god dude it was yeah. so ray's leathers looked tight his helmet was awesome i called her right right away and i was like are we getting a replica and they're like no you're not getting a replica yeah you know, no one's getting a replica of that one because that thing was hot but that was great. I mean, how do you not have that bike come back out? Because well, that bike looks yeah. so good like that. Well, even some of the younger guys, I saw on Corey Alexander's thing is like, you know, if we stay with Kawasaki next year, should this be the look? And I'm like, man, it did look great. And I remember those days so well. And, mm-hmm. you know, Johnny put himself on the back foot because in, in practice two on, on Friday, he lost like 35 minutes of that session by crashing and destroying that bike. And, um, but when they, when they rolled that thing out Saturday morning for that first race, I was like, Whoa, that thing just looks so good. Back to like the Rob Phyllis, Scott Russell days back in the early nineties. Um, and then of course, Alex was riding one that was kind of inspired from top gun. Ugh, um, he got hosed. That's a yeah, stupid looking bike. Yeah. I, I couldn't <laughs> agree more. I didn't like that one as much. Um, Johnny's bike looked great. Um, but that said, you know, when you watch that race and you watch it back, uh, Ronaldo did a good job coming through the field in that first race because it was so spread out. Alex was up there at the beginning. He would ultimately not even get to race the second race on Sunday because of the pain in his arm. I'm um, hoping that he's going to be good in a month from now, like taking a full month off. And Chaz was the same way. He needed, he just needs, a, you know, he needs a little bit more time to get his fitness back to Chaz over, over the weekend. But Johnny put himself on the back foot there on Friday because Top Rack's just applying so much pressure. 
a so fast right now. But uh, so all right, so we know our top three. Like yeah. you know, we know Redding, Ray, Razgat, Lioglu, and maybe these three are included. But who is the standout from the weekend in your mind? If you look back on this race weekend and you go, Vasani. Vasani, dude, hundred percent. He was really, really good, wasn't he? I mean, the second day he was actually there. And there's a couple things I wanted to to, to add uh, to our talk with this whole World Superbike thing because when you watch that race, there's two things. When you when you watch that race back, um, it was pretty pretty obvious the bikes that are fast. Doesn't it seem that Yamaha has just made this? I mean, a huge step. Like Yamaha now could actually they're drafting the Ducati where there's. I think the Honda and the BMW possibly could, but they just can't quite get off the corners the way they need to. The Honda is just, it was, it wasn't good for Honda at Argentina. They were way off. Um, Vandemark was there putting in some rides. Um, but man, it's, it's pretty wild how big of a jump that Yamaha has made. But more importantly, do you see how it comes off the corners? It's the same thing that we saw at, I believe it was Jerez where the Yamaha just leaps off the turns. And the way Top Rack's riding that motorcycle, he's able to get a, a distinct advantage just getting off the corners. And then the bike doesn't really lack in top speed either. And that's the thing. I'm like, has Yamaha made a step or is it Top Rack or is it just a combination of, of the two? Because it's taken so long for Yamaha, in my view, to get there. But man, they are there. And then I know that on social media, someone raised the question, well, it seems like the Kawasaki now is a little slower because it really isn't able to draft. It can it, it, it can draft, but it can't. Can't, it can't pull out. Once it pulls out, it can't go anywhere. Right. So why yeah. not just give it a couple more hundred RPM back? Which of course is within the rule book. The bike is built to do that. The problem, some of the problem is, and it's a problem that Kawasaki would love to have, is is you know you pick a gearbox at the beginning of the year and you're stuck with that gearbox for the rest of the season. You don't have to run stock gearbox. Yeah. But you have to run the same gearbox. Correct. So depending on how much RPM they would give back, but obviously they're not going to do it this year. But I think it's something that they that the rules makers in World Superbike should look at for next season. I think that the Kawasaki to to be competitive right now because Ray seems like he's got to ride that thing so much harder because he cannot yeah. get off a corner. And I'm glad you said that because everybody thinks I'm biased and I'm not, I'm not biased at all, but it's this, you know, you and I, we think a lot alike because I wanted to bring this point up and you did it for me. And the thing I think is is frustrating is why can't every manufacturer just build the best bike they can within the rules and run it? Like, yeah, like everybody is so bitter of how much guys win. And I find it really, really funny that, that when you get a guy like top rack right now and you think about how people look at him and how much they love him, the guy's a great guy. Like on off the track, he just seems so mellow, so chill, and he's a tremendous rider. But if he goes on and let's just say he went on and won three or four championships, people would be hating on him. Um, because he's winning. And mm-hmm. that's why I don't understand. And I think that when you look at, at Johnny, he's been the staple of that series, obviously. Probably go down in in history as the best world superbike rider there is. You know, we always talk about how hard it is to compare to year to year. To, to anybody, but the guy's won six world titles. I mean, it's insane. And essentially, when you look at what has been done the last three years, they've done whatever they can to kind of penalize guys that are winning all the time um, by writing the rule books the way they write them. And there was a distinct disadvantage. I mean, you just watched the Cowie. I've, I've been there. I've been to those two races in Jerez and Portimao, and I watched this weekend. And the Cowie and is is... It's so um, 
it's at such a disadvantage right now. And you're right, Johnny has to override it to get it to where it is. And the, the problem is, is that it's not the manufacturer. It's not saying that Yamaha is building a superior product to Kawasaki, right. that right. Ducati's building a superior product to Kawasaki because it's being controlled by RPM. And the interesting bit, I think, is that as, as racing has become more business and less passion. So, you know, it, it's, it's a shift, right? It's been a shift of a little bit more business as a manufacturer that's losing. You can say, if you don't change these rules, I'm going to pull out. And from, you know, a perspective of the manufacturer, you've got to say, okay, how can we make this a little bit more competitive? Ducati spent all this money for all these years. Yamaha spent all this money for all these years. They're not seeing any return, blah, 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 blah. And I, and I get all that part of it, but I really agree with you that says, you know, if Kawasaki has a technically superior product or yep. definitely a product that is on par with everyone else, when you, as a rule book, take away their RPM. And again, I go back to, if you look at the R versus the RR and you look in the rule book, <laughs> it's the exact same RPM that was allowed from the R to the RR. The issue is Kawasaki makes the RR to actually have more RPM, to be able to be more capable of doing it. And then the rules, they choked them out and they said, nah, we're not giving you that RPM. We're going to keep you the way you were. So it's almost like, why Why did we build the RR to begin with? Well, because let me, you know, let, let me ask you another question. This will be a fun one without looking at your screen. Mm -hmm. How many other Kawasaki's are in the race on the racetrack besides Alex and Johnny? Yeah, I don't, I mean, none or one, right? There's, there's like four, Greg. Oh, there is. Yeah, but the problem is, is that those guys get su they they suffer just as much as you know Alex and yeah. Johnny. In other words, they're probably not going to get some of the parts that those guys get. But as a manufacturer, if you're a privateer team looking at okay, what are we going to run? Right? Mm -hmm. the, the there's Pachetti has been on Cowies, and then you've got you know you you look at the different teams that oh, are yeah, there. Yeah, no, yeah, because um, what's his name is on it. Um... Well, Rabat is is he took yep. over for um oh my gosh I've just lost my mind the French guy anyways took over for him because of because of an injury but the thing is um, Lucas Myers uh yeah mm -hmm. yeah so but the thing is right is is you look at customer Ducatis look at Pisani yeah he's up front customer Yamahas Garrett Gerloff Nizani up front so you can't sit there and go well. Um, there hasn't been a distinct advantage for these guys. It's it's one of those things where there has been an advantage, and it's and and ultimately Johnny has had to ride hard, and that's why we've seen him probably tipping off a little bit more this year because he's having uh, to go no over doubt that about it. I, I mean, so I think Steve mentioned somebody mentioned on the broadcast they were like, "Look, we're, we're seeing a Johnny Ray still at the peak of his correct, still at the peak of his career. Yep. He just has to ride his nuts off in a different way and." And that's the thing I think that's impressed me about Ray is this is the first time in a championship where we've seen him pressured. And man, that dude, if anybody ever He's thought in all those though, years, yeah. dude, he just fights. He loves, yeah. I mean, it's just any, and, and then he's cool as a cucumber afterwards. And he takes, he takes his position. Like he takes the hit as I call it. It's kind of like yep. if you're driving in traffic and someone misses a turn and then they just slow all the traffic down because they decide they're going to make a U-turn or something like that. And Correct. I always sit behind him and go, Hey man, you messed up. Take your hit. Johnny Ray's instance, when he sits there and, and he'll race his ass off and he gets second place and he goes, well, that's as, that's as much as we had today. And that alone just shows me what a champion he is, but how hard he's willing to fight, that he's not a guy who just wants to go out and check out. I mean, I'm sure he would for the championship, but that he has the mix of speed, 
and the early speed that he had, whether it was an advantage on the Cowie or not, is 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 not even a debate. The yeah. guy, and, 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 even and, Rossi fairness, said the guy belonged on a GP bike at some point. But in fairness, know? Kawasaki had the best bike for a few years. They did. Well, they, they were really did. the. And that's why they were the winning. only full-blown factory team, though. Correct. Right? Like hundred percent. Even and, when, with they weren't break, with they, in it, yeah. they weren't getting concessions to for for them to go out and win. And that's it's we're in a very very difficult world right now. MotoGP is so lucky because they went years and years with the CRT bikes and how are we going to make this fair? And now they've got a great balance. World Superbike right now is so good. The championship is so great, and we love watching Johnny Ray ride over the limits to try to keep up with those other two bikes. But you know, the big tell next year when Redding goes to that BMW. I mean, I don't think it's going to be Redding, Ray, and and Top Rack up at the front anymore. It's not. You're going to see Batista make that jump again. He's going to be up front a lot more. And I think Redding, um, who I who I've just grown to love, uh, I think he's. I I don't think it's going to be as easy. I'm hoping that with the addition of of Loris Baz, maybe jumping on those BMWs, that between those three guys, Vandermark, Redding, and and Baz they can get this BMW even better and in the window it needs to be in to compete for wins and podiums. Um, but the thing that you've got to look at is, is that the concession wise, it, it's, it's going to be interesting to even see the job that Scott smart has in super sport now with all the different brands and manufacturers. I love that because it's going to open, it's going to give maybe more riders, more opportunities. And I know we're adopting those same rules, I'm super excited about that. And that'll be for another podcast. I know we're going to talk about some of that, but Mm -hmm. it's when you start playing with, well, let's give them a little of this and take this away from them. And that I just feel like it takes away from the heart of racing and the manufacturers who want to build the best bikes they can and then get kind of penalized for building a great motorbike. So um, it's going to be, it's going to, you know, when the Ducati came out, Everybody was like, oh, it's got this MotoGP technology. And the thing at Phillip Island was a joke. I mean, when Batista was on that bike, it was there was nothing on track that was anything close to that Ducati. Nothing. And and I think now people have caught up, but the Kawasaki's still playing with a little bit of deficiencies and it shows. Yeah. It, they they need a few hundred more RPM and they need it in the off season so they can test it and get a good gearbox and all that kind of stuff. I, I think they'll <clears throat> I mean, I think the, even the, aerodynamically, though, if you look at the Cowie and you look at the other bikes, the Cowie, it, um, yeah, I was sitting there, I was staring at those bikes, and you just visibly, the Ducati and the Yamaha, even the Honda, look a little bit narrower and mm-hmm. a little bit more streamlined. Um, I was talking with somebody the other week, and I can't remember who it was, but they jumped. Oh, gosh, who was it, Greg? Anyways, they said, Jason, I jumped on an R1, and it just felt like a race bike, and I'm like, you know. When I jumped on an R1 the very first time when it came out, I did a test with MotorcycleUSA.com, I think it was, at Willow. And I jumped on, I I rode all of the thousands that day. And when I jumped on the Yamaha, I was like, whoa, it was so narrow and so much more sleek and so much more, I just felt, it felt like a race bike, you know? Mm. Um, So I think that, I think that the Kawasaki is still a tremendous package, but I think it's, it's aerodynamic, aerodynamics and even motor those would be some things that they can look at to make even better for themselves. Hmm. Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens next year with the rules, but 
it's it's a month. It's a month before they they race the final one, and the bottom line is the championship is close because there was a lot of talk about it. It is thirty points between yeah. Top Rack and Johnny. But if, I mean, if you read the the press with Johnny, he's I mean, he's basically like, look, I got nothing to lose now. I'm just going to go race my heart out. Like 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 that's different than he normally does. Well, yeah, but, the guys won the championship six times. It's like you never want to get knocked off your perch, but it happens. It's just the way mm-hmm. the world is. You can't be on top forever. And this year, Top Rack's put up a tremendous fight. I just thought it was really interesting to see that, you know, Redding just kind of pulled away from those guys. It took Johnny a long time to kind of get away from Top Rack. Um, I thought it was funny the way Redding was saying in his interviews that, you know, he Top Racked Top Rack. And I I didn't really see that. I saw him even in the Super Bowl race where he tried to make his pass. Um, And, you know, if you think about it, Greg, where he tried to make that pass in the Super Bowl race, it shows the speed of the Yamaha because in the past, Redding would have just followed him through that tight left, drafted him down that back straightaway. Mm-hmm. And he took a shot at him going into that tight left uh, because I feel like he probably thought that the Yamaha could draft back past him. So, um, you know, that when you look at things, uh, the Ducati itself, Redding, I thought, man, this guy's on top. How many races has he won now, Greg? Seven? Has he won seven this year? I believe, yeah, yeah, seven or I, eight, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, but I'm saying like he's jumping off that bike. He's Ducati's got to be again. I mean, this happened with Lorenzo too, scratching their heads, going like, "Wait, we just got rid of this guy, and he's winning races. He's showing that he can win races." So, yeah, I, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. Thirty points though. Um, what's there, any, anything can happen? So what? There's yeah, I don't know how I many mean, points Super Bowl race has up for grabs. Twelve. So, yeah, so, so you're 62 looking at what, points? 62 points? Yeah. I mean, look, anything can happen. Anything I mean, Yamaha's happen. been flawless in terms of mechanicals and stuff. Top Rack hasn't crashed in a race. I mean, nobody's seen this track in Indonesia. Nobody's seen it. Ah. That's good. And I think at the end of the year, you're always going to have those guys that are thinking to themselves, all right, you know, this last race of the season, let's just go out and send it. Go so, for it. the title contenders get caught up with anything from. You know, you got, I, we don't know about Leon Haslam. We don't know where where he's going to end up. So this could be his last World Superbike race. We don't know. Yeah. Um, and and Batista's last one for... Uh, for Sykes, Sykes might be back. Sykes. Because of his whole situation. We don't know his what's last going on with Sykes. We don't, yeah. So there's a lot of little things and with a track that we don't know. And then if like, if you were to get any kind of weather in Indonesia where maybe rains for a practice session on Friday, so guys are compromised as far as setups... There's a lot of things that can go into place here, but yeah, I mean, for sure, I think, uh, you know, Ray's going to go into it, trying to win all three. Redding's going to do the same and top rack. I think will probably play it pretty smart. I think if those two guys are battling hard up with each other and he's right behind them, um, I think he's going to go, okay, I got a 30 point lead. I got to make sure not to mess this up. Let's bring it a little bit closer to home and let's just quickly talk about Garrett Gerloff and how important it's going to be for him in that race in a month. Because, Jay, if you, if you break down the numbers, just I'm just taking race two, for instance. You know, there's only five riders that dipped into the 37, the 137 range. Yeah. And Garrett Gerloff had the second fastest lap of the race. So Redding did a 137.615. Gerloff did a 137.712, yeah. which, was, which was half a second plus faster than he qualified. I mean, we know he's got speed. We know that he led warm up, you know, Sunday as well. Yep. He was the fastest guy. But it's right now it's that same situation, you know, that's not getting solved overnight, which is the aggression off the start because the guy's been choked off by, you know, Yamaha or whoever and said, Hey, you better calm down. But here we go to the last race weekend of the year. How important is it for you for Garrett to prove to himself that 
We know he's fast. We know he's one of the fastest guys in the world. I mean, I can see it in a lap time, you know? Oh, yeah. No, it's the biggest thing right now is Garrett has got to get over this hump of engagement early with in, in the in the early parts of these races. He loses way too much time. And you can always see him in the background of all those shots where you see like the first five guys come across the line. And you see Garrett coming out of the last corner in eighth behind two other guys that he eventually gets past. And when they do those long shots, like coming down the back straightaway there in Argentina, you know, you, you can see Garrett coming out of that, that left-hander when the guys are at the end of the straightaway. And it doesn't really change. Like, he just does the same exact lap times as they do. Um, I think the only thing the only thing that could have made it any different for him is if he had qualified up on the first two rows. You know, free practices and stuff, Greg, he's right there. Mm-hmm. And then in qualifying, he kind of slips back to 8th, ninth, 10th. Then that makes his weekend really, really difficult. So there's two things, I think, for Garrett that will become – uh, something really important for him will be he's got to start getting himself up on those first two rows and qualifying. And he then needs he, a little bit of luck, though. Yeah, but, correct. Correct. In yes, qualifying, yes, I mean, yes. because I think he was a victim again of a, a late yellow flag in qualifying. Correct. And I think he was on a hot lap in this section of track. So I think that that lap got erased. And there's another whole like, yeah, there's a whole nother. Yeah. Talk about with those yellow flags. It's just it's insane to me, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Which we're but not anyways, get into, the thing but. is, is, is it, you know, we know Garrett has the pace. We know he has the ability to win. We know he has all everything there. It didn't seem like too many things missed a beat with his crew chief Les being gone and getting a new guy in there. Kind of seemed like he jumped right back on pace and, and he was, you know, you would have never known. So that was good. So yeah, I think for Garrett going into the final race of the year, you know, um, with some of the warnings and things that he had coming into this year, I think he was worried about getting sat down um, or sat out. So now he can go to this last race. There's, there's no races after this, so he can do whatever he wants. But and he's, um, he's in for next year, so it's like I it's got to be yeah, a, cal- I know. a calculated send it for Garrett Gerloff would be pretty yeah, good. Yeah, you know don't what I mean? get near top rack. <laughs> hashtag don't well, get near. That's top the rack. only one. Yeah, <laughs> you really, really have to stay away from him. Hashtag, and another, get, hashtag yeah. get near Johnny Ray. Hashtag get near Redding. <laughs> and before we leave Argentina, let's throw a shout out to Dominic Goethe for winning oh, the yeah. Super Sport Championship. Yep. pretty amazing stuff. Uh, the guy actually, I mean, I don't know what his competition must be thinking. He's wrapped it up a race early, and he sat out around to go race Moto E. In Mizano and still wrapped up the championship. So it showed his class all year long. Uh, he didn't win any races in Argentina. He did get on the podium the second day. A um, couple guys that I thought were, you know, it was Can uh, Anchu really did an ama- amazing job. But what can you say about Jules Clazel? That guy to me is such a gnarly grinder. And like we always talk about, the guy who has been taken out the absolute most I've ever seen in my life, especially <laughs> top guys, uh, and battled through injuries the way he has. Congrats to him, GMT, and Christoph Gio, the team owner. Um, pretty impressive stuff. But if Goethe wins the world championship, I think he's going to end up staying where he's at, Greg, by what it seems like that I've read. doesn't seem like there's really anywhere for him to go. Yeah, there was some chit-chat <laughs> about possibly a world superbike ride. But, th- but at this point, that world superbike ride would probably be a team that isn't as competitive as his world supersport team. And you know what? The guy deserves to run the number one plate. So we'll see if he sticks around. I, I want to... S- Tip of the cap to uh, to Valentin DeBees because DeBees ended up getting a, a couple six place finishes. He did, yeah. And I was up in the that. mix on the GMT ninety four Yamaha team. Chit chat about him possibly staying, you know, in on that team for World Supersport next season or what? Yeah, I mean, it would be interesting to see if they do that. Um, I mean, he rode fine. I think he's still coming back from that injury. You know, he broke his wrist at, at uh, Magni Core in that start line incident. So you know, I think he's still coming back. I haven't reached out to him. I usually reach out to him on the weekends. I didn't reach out to him this lap, this past one, but 
uh, one of his posts it seemed like he was happy enough to uh, to kind of finish top six, although he was he was a long way back. All right, let's look ahead, Jason, because MotoGP is off to Misano. <laughs> Excuse me, in Italy, it's Valentino Rossi's you know big send off for the Italian fans. There's been a lot of lead up to this, you know, in the last week or two. MotoGP has been doing all kinds of interviews with some legends, talking about legends and talking about, you know, what's going on this year. But um, Fabio Quattararo looks like he is in a good position to win this world championship. So what are your thoughts? This is our second trip, by the way, or our, like I'm part of the MotoGP, but it's our second trip to Misano this season, obviously because of the still, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic and weird schedule. So what do you think about the second trip to Misano? Well, I think it's great. I think next year they, they're not going to be doing any doubles, so we won't have the advantage of going back-to-back. I think that reading what Quattro was saying about it's time to start thinking about the championship now and be smart, I think it's totally valid. He's come a long way this year. He's grinded out the middle part of the season where we saw him struggle last season, uh, and he's he's you know right now he's got a hand on the trophy, doesn't he? So yeah. we've, got, uh, we've got three rounds to go, I believe, Greg. We've got three Mazzotto, rounds, Portugal, and Valencia. Points. Yep. yep, 75 points to go. He's got a 52-point lead. Yeah, he can actually wrap it up this weekend. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if he beats um, – his Peco. his goal is he's got to beat Peko. Put as much pressure on Peko as you can. And in other words, right now I feel that all the cards are in Quattararo's hands. The hardest part about it for me, I think, is just the nature of MotoGP right now, as competitive as it is. If he starts being too careful, it would be real easy for him to finish 6th, 7th, 8th, ninth, somewhere in there. Um, so he's got to still keep his edge. He's still got to like try to go out there and, you know, I think if he puts it on the podium, that's going to be a great result for him. These guys having been there and raced there already once, there's a lot of teams that are probably coming back there with things that they know that can be made better. So, you know, I, I think that we're going to see an even more competitive race than we saw last time. If you remember, I believe Quattro was running down Bagnai at the end of that race, mm-hmm. getting pretty close to him. So, Quattro is going to go into this thing with a lot of confidence, knowing how well he did here in the past. That result he got last time would all but wrap up the championship. But if he could beat, if he could beat Bagnai, he's, he's world champ. So I mean, the thing is, is that if he decides to hone in on one guy this weekend, that's the guy he's got to hone in on and, and try to do the business of beating him. I agree with you, but you know, the, definitely the landscape of this Mizano looks a little different. You have a surging Enea Bastianini who wasn't really, you know, there. Jorge <clears throat> Martin is getting back to healthy. Mark Marquez is another one that can be in the mix in that one. Yeah. So, you know, you you're you're adding more players uh into the possibility to win, definitely possibility of podium. So you're just adding more more mud to the water as more, yeah, Bob- and more risk is involved. And mm-hmm. but again, if you look at how many people that he's eliminated from the championship by his point total right now, there's one guy that he's got to try to eliminate and get rid of, that's and that's it. Bagnaya. So yeah. if 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 they finish, you know, I think if he finishes fourth and Bagnaya finishes fifth, it's over, you know. So however you look at it, there's going to be qualifying is going to be at a premium. Getting up in that, that I mean, Mazzano has kind of a short run down to the first turn, and it can get very bottled up. So you've really got to make sure you're up on those first two rows, which we know he hasn't had a problem doing. Um, I think that Ducati themselves, they're pulling for Bastianini. They're pulling for Jorge Martin. Zarco's been uh, just nowhere. So they're, and, and of course, Miller as well. So they need all their guys to get up there to try to keep this championship run going for Ducati and for Bagnaya. But I think that Quattro, I he has really shown me this year uh, a lot of mental tenacity. Uh, mm-hmm. Tremendous rider. Seems to have handled everything really well. And I don't, I don't see that changing. No, I'm looking forward to it. And by the way, 
in our MotoGP fantasy, if you're playing fantasy with us and you haven't used a turbo yet, there's three turbos and there's only three rounds left. So start turboing. All right. How much Stop money holding. am I down in that, by the way? Oh, I don't even know, dude. I, I am I am horrendous. Like I can't I can't believe how many points I scored last week in fantasy and still lost in our side pool. I was like, Yeah, well, I lost by half a point, and that was because of the penalty. Whatever. Who? Race control. Uncle, Uncle Skip or who? Yeah, the Uncle Skip one that we do. Yeah, but yeah. he did he beat you? Who beat you? Yeah, I think he beat me. I love I it. Know. That's all great. I know is I just open up the spreadsheet and if my name's not in red, I just close it and throw my computer yeah. across the room. I'm going to need to get a raise from Moto America this year just to pay off my fantasy <laughs> stuff. So good luck. Don't worry, Chuck. It's coming back to you. Chuck doesn't listen to us anymore. He doesn't. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. We'll find it's hard out. to say. We should call him names. Maybe if we call him names on the podcast. We'll why don't out. you give we'll, it a, why don't you give it a go and we'll see find how that out goes. If he really listens. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. So whatever. MotoGP this weekend. Yeah. Looking forward to it. It's Wednesday afternoon for me, Wednesday morning for you. So don't forget we got a good Moto Two championship too. Oh yeah, the Moto Two Championship. Yeah. Fernando. Is, I mean, all the championships are still open. They are. Yeah. So so in terms of the, <laughs> the world standings for Moto Two, Garner has two hundred and seventy one points and Fernandez, Raul Fernandez, has two sixty two. So you're talking nine points there. Uh, Betzeki is still mathematically in it, you know, with, with, he has 206 to 271, but that gap is so large at this point with 75 points left. So those are the three in the championship and, you know, Betzeki could be the spoiler in this, but the thing that I like about Moto2 is that there's really nobody that runs up front that seems that they're going to do anything to make any mistakes. This championship is going to be raced, I think, without danger. Like if Remy Gardner and Raul Fernandez come together, it's not going to be because of Marco Bedzecki, or it's not going to be because of Sam Lowe's or Augusto Fernandez, the riders that are starting to surge. Yep. Does that make sense? Yep. Yep. So I agree. No, it's going to be, it's going to be good. It's going to be a great weekend to watch it. And uh, I'm, I'm happy I'm going to be home again for a weekend. So I can 30 points between Pedro Acosta and Dennis Foggia in the Moto three world championship. That's been very interesting to watch because Acosta came out, I mean, absolutely thrilling and swinging and scoring maximum amount of points. And really, Jason, if you look at this whole back half of the season, Acosta's been able to surf on that kind of 42-point lead he had yeah. built in the championship early. It's dwindled you know, down to 30 points, but he's really kind of managing that. So can Acosta is in Moto3 really kind of get back to the form that he had early on and put a stamp on this championship? Or is it going to be just watching Dennis Foggia you know, eat away at it with 75 points, 30 in Moto3 doesn't seem like a big margin at all. Well, and the, the current form that he's on right now, it, it with three races to go, it's 30 points. So you're exactly right. And as competitive as that class is, that, that's still it, up, uh, up for grabs. But when you think about it, you look at right now, it, it people were already giving him the championship, weren't they, at the beginning of the year when you just got out to like a 60-point lead or something. And it's a little bit of the same for Remy. You know, it was such a shame that Remy couldn't get that bike restarted at, at Coda mm. and just gave away all those points. The thing is, Greg, is even if you if you tip off that slow and you can't get your bike started, and eventually, let's say you do, the fields are so close together, it's really hard to get yourself back into the points, anyways. So, I mean, we still have we still have uh, a tight race in those other two classes, and I think it's going to come down to uh, I think it'll come down to Valencia. So, you know, it's going to be fun to see how that all plans out. Yeah, looking forward to it this weekend. Let's look ahead to this weekend's race calendar. Of course, we talked about MotoGP, but Endurocross is in PV. That's Prescott Valley, Arizona, for all the non-local people. Okay, mm. we, call it, we call it PV. That's all right. Great. When I used to live in Biscuit, 
which is Prescott. Heron Hound is in Lucerne Valley, California. GNCC in Crawfordsville, Indiana. I've got to reach out to one of my archery buddies who lives like within earshot of that track. See if he's going to go. Works is in Mesquite, Nevada. And Super Hooligans is in Huntington Beach, California. Mm. I don't know what event that's for, though. But Super, oh. Super Hooligans kind of dips their toe in a you well, know, they went to flat track road racing. Yeah, but didn't they have like a didn't they have like a like a almost like a grand national thing where it was road racing and then a mile and then a half mile and yeah, that's what I'm saying. So but, I don't know what I don't know what bit this is in Huntington. Well, it's probably part of that though, right? It's probably part no, no, of no. The, it is that. That's what yeah. I'm saying. I don't know. So so la- so but, obviously two weeks ago it was flat track, you know, and then yep. they came to Moto America and did road racing. That's sh- what I'm. It's saying. probably a short track. Oh yeah, I see. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It's probably yeah. like a. I mean, I would guess it's probably like a short track. Yeah, I didn't do the research on it, but that's a, that's a fun one. That is a fun one. So that'll do it for this yeah. podcast. You got anything else you want to say? Congrats to Tara McKenzie. I mean, I thought it's a cool story. Mm. His dad won the British Superbike Championship 25 years ago, and Taryn wins it this weekend. And his his brother retired at 28. I've been following a little bit about what's going on over there, but Taryn did the triple at the final round at BSB and wins the championship. And did you see the photo that they posted? Of They had his dad's race-winning bike. And so his dad, no. his dad was in uh, sitting on his race winning bike, and so he had him one direction, and he had Taryn. There, you know, the, the two front tires are kind of pointed together. Father son winning the championship twenty five years apart. I thought it was pretty cool, and uh, you know, it, it's it's crazy because his brother, his brother, I don't know if you know the story behind it, but his brother basically went to social media and crowdfunded his way, but gave a lot of things away. Did a lot of really cool things to make his year happen. And, um, he was, he was writing for uh rudder's team, Batham's BMW. And, uh, he ended up doing really well and announcing his retirement at 28. So the final race weekend of the year at BSB, hmm. Taryn goes out and wins. His brother goes out kind of retiring on the right note. Um, and, uh, and his dad and his mom were there the whole time. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty cool story. If you, I don't know if you did last year, but I started following, um, Rob McElnay on, um, on Twitter. And he was doing all of his COVID things every day. He was telling stories about back in the day of hmm. 80s Grand Prix racing. And his, the way his storytelling is great. is so great. But he did a pretty cool piece on watching the final weekend. And um, yeah, it was it was pretty good. So congrats to Taryn. Here he might be going to World Superbike next year. Mm. So we'll see how that all pans out. And um, yeah, that's it. World Superbike or... Yeah, World Superbike. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. So maybe somewhere else. You don't know. Never know. Never know. Never know. uh, Have a good weekend, Haji Deb. I'll be. uh, I'm gonna do some riding on Friday. I'm excited. I'm gonna be uh, then glued to my TV for the weekend with MotoGP and and watching those Pats lose again. 